Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. You know, in, in cowboy ministry, I have the opportunity to speak with lots of people, uh, from, from top hands to people that are that are, are uh, have always wanted to be a cowboy, but all of it is just kind of an illustration of our Christian lives, and I get the chance to to speak to and learn from some some spiritual top hands, and I get the chance to talk to people every single week that are are new or or maybe they're probably they've strayed away. They know God's been talking to them, so they're coming back, uh, but. With social media presence, uh, we have a huge social media presence, and I've often I've often been asked why do we spend so much time and effort and money on social media? Well, you know we've got a hundred and nearly a hundred and ten thousand people on Facebook alone, where we spread the word of God to, and and I know a lot of y'all's age group may not be on on social media, but you know the early twenties, my age group. Uh, those uh, those people are on there, you know. We want to have that presence already, so that when they go searching, that they'll have a, a safe place to go to. But I see pictures all the time, cowboy pictures, because I put these little quotes on these pictures, and they're cool, and 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 all of this stuff. But I, I see pictures of people riding horses and stuff all the time. And there's one thing that that when you've been cowboying for a while. You can take one look at a picture, or even if you see somebody riding, you, you can take one look at something and kind of tell their experience level. And that's the way a person sits a horse. Man, you, you go watch Ty ride, you go watch Abe ride, you go watch you know, Robert ride, and, and some of these other, these other good hands. There's just a way that they sit a horse that just says, I've spent thousands of hours in the saddle. And, and you can't really copy that, but there's clinics and everything, and they'll tell you about proper hip position and proper hand position and all this stuff, and you end up doing it, and it's kind of like some of these, these people I see taking selfies with the duck face. They just look more silly than anything else. You know, because there's no, there is no substitute for a thousand hours in the saddle. You know, I see people posing online, and they got their knees locked in their their stirrups are out like this, and you're like, yeah, you didn't ride very long, did you? You know, because, I mean, you'd kill yourself like that. You know, your horse would kill you. And, you know, so when, when you start learning to ride, there, there's just, you can take one look at somebody of how they sit a saddle and gauge pretty well where they're at in their experience level. Because, I mean, a lot of people, whether it's Christianity or cowboy, they say, oh, yeah, you know, I... I, I used to ride all the time when I was a kid, and when they get on, you realize that they they rode twice when they were four. Okay, you know that's their experience level, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love that. I love that they rode two times when they were four, and they're wanting to get back into it or into it in the first place. But the same thing goes with Christianity. Oh, I've been going to church since I was four, but maybe we don't have any experience in it. Now, if sitting a saddle. Uh, can give you a glimpse if you really want to dive into somebody's experience level, watch them trot on a horse, okay? There is nothing more telling about experience level 
than trotting on a horse. And I mean, there's just some things, you know, when when they're bouncing off, yeah, I've been riding my whole life and they can't keep their feet in the stirrups. And you're like, well, not well you haven't, okay? Doesn't mean that we can't help with that. You know, and, and, and even us old hands sometimes, you know, when you get on some of those rough horses and it's hard to stay in the saddle. And, and you know, really, let, 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 me, let me just let you in on two things. You don't look cute in your selfies. And you can't look cute while a horse is trotting. Don't try either one of them, okay? It just, it doesn't work. I don't care, you know, I don't care how good you pose when that horse is trotting. There's just stuff that moves that just shouldn't move. And uh, it's not very photogenic, okay? But how you sit a horse says much about your experience and knowledge in the horse. But in the Christian world, the equivalent of that, where somebody can just see just a real small part of your life and probably come pretty close, probably come pretty close to seeing your experience in Christianity is your attitude. You can't really fake it. I mean, you, anybody can be, can be nice for a second or, or, or be kind for a minute or, or, or feel some joy for a moment or anything, but, but it doesn't take long until our attitudes come out And there's a lot of people out there that call themselves Christians, but they don't have a lot of experience in it. And I'm not, I don't think there's good Christians and bad Christians. There's just Christians that are new or maybe they're old, but they don't have a lot of experience. And the most telling part of that is their attitude. We are in a series, part two. If you weren't here last week, I'll summarize it right quick. You can always go back and watch it on our live stream page, or if you get the app, it's on the podcast. Uh, I started a series called Hacking Christianity, okay? Hacking Christianity. Some little tips and tricks to maybe weed through the religion and, and not get diverted and spend a lot of time over here on something that's not going to really develop your relationship with God. But, you know, as as Alistair Begg says, that the plain things are the main things and the main things are the plain things. Can we all come back to center for just a second and say, what can we do in our Christian walk with God, with our relationship with God, with our ride with God, that will help us move quickly in developing that one-on-one relationship with God because that is what is important. That is through which everything else will flow. Last week we talked about growing in Christ, of growing in your walk with God. I mean, if you're a cowboy out there and you don't want to get better at something, I'm going to question whether or not you're really a cowboy. Okay? I am always, a lot of people say, well, do you know anything? Because I'm always trying to learn something new. I could rope before I got to Colorado, but I wasn't very good. And I found people like Ty and Sean and some uh, Dale and, and all these other guys that helped me with my roping. And I'm, I'm not great, but I'm really a lot better than I used to be because I want to grow in my cowboying ability, but I also want to grow in my spiritual ability. I, I am absolutely thankful for what God has done through me right now, but I am not satisfied with that. I want to reach more people through, 
with, uh, for God. I, I want to grow in my relationship with God. I am extremely grateful for everything, but I am not satisfied. I want a closer relationship with God. I want a closer relationship with y'all. I want to learn how God loves me, and I want to learn how to love others more. And last week, we talked about that Christian growth, and we said it very simply that it doesn't take these three things to be a Christian, but without these three things that I'm fixing to say, you're not going to grow very effectively as a Christian. And we said that the first one was prayer. Man, if you ain't talking to God, how can you be buddies with somebody you never speak to? If you want to grow in your relationship, you better start talking to the big boss. Okay? Second thing is, is reading the good book. Man, prayer is us talking to God. The Bible is God talking to us. It's an entire book, actually 66. It's a compilation of 66 books telling us how much God loves us. But yet we don't find time to read it. We don't have time to talk to God. We don't have time to read the good book. And luckily, the third thing, I get to preach to the choir today, and every single person today can say, man, I got something right today. And the third thing about Christian growing is going to church. It don't make you a Christian, but you know what? Man, you show me a Christian that never goes to church. You show me a cowboy that never rides a horse, that never does anything in the culture, and it kind of makes you go, well... Well, I mean, I get, you can be. I'm not saying that you got to ride a horse to be a cowboy. And I'm not saying that you got to go to church to be a Christian. But if you wanted to grow, if you actually took it seriously and wanted to grow, prayer, read the good book, and go to church. And today, we're going to talk about our conduct. The Christian way of living, of what people see, you know, uh, about a year ago, Ty said something, and it was in conversation, and it was one of the greatest things I think I've ever heard in my life. I made a cool picture out of it. I seriously think about this somewhere between three and five times a week. I contemplate a real short sentence that Ty said one day, and he said, and it was, up, it was while he was talking up here, and he goes, your attitude is your greatest ministry. Boy, isn't that the truth? It's what people see. We can talk about how we want to be, but your attitude is who you really are. It's what others see. It governs what we do. It determines who we really are. It's our character. It's our integrity. It's our attitude. It's our conduct. But here's the question. How are Christians supposed to act? Because really, that's where religion comes in, because everybody's got an answer for that. And religion says, everybody's got to do it the same way. But a true relationship with God says, man, you just depend upon me. Now, I do think there are some qualities that need to define a Christian attitude or a Christian conduct. Of course there are. And we'll talk about some of those that are listed in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 19. Or the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Galatia, which is in modern-day uh, Turkey, okay? Paul says this, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now, think about that for just a second. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. This is a cause and effect. You follow your sinful nature, this is going to be the result. 
you do what your desires, uh, your sinful desires want, here's what your attitude is going to be. This is going to be your conduct. Now, when I read this list, I do not want you thinking about your spouse and how many of these they have, okay? Or that person that you don't like that checks out at Walmart or your coworker or anything. You think about you. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He didn't say anybody that didn't make a mistake every now and then. If that's your life, you need to step back and take a, take a gander and do some contemplating and do some chewing on what your life is really about. Because I know that that has been, nearly every single one of those was my life at one point. But God started talking to me and he's like, is that really what, what you want for your life? And I said, no. In the very first word of Galatians 5.22 says, but, but the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives, this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I got to looking at these two lists, and I mean, I'd a lot rather be known for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because Paul says there is nothing wrong with these things. Or he says, there is no law against these things. What is your conduct like? If a stranger was to follow you around and knew nothing about you, what would they say is your characteristic? What are the determining qualities of your attitude? Because I, you know, I, I've been known as a complainer. Always griping, always whining, blah, 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 blah. And I know I ain't the only one. I know I've been a fearful person in the past of, you know, always worried and always fretful about what's going to happen. I've been an angry person in the past, always getting mad because somebody's doing something that, that I don't like. Well, well, that's annoying. Well, that's annoying. Well, that's annoying. Well, so what? It ain't about you, cupcake. And that's me in the mirror, right? I hate it when I call myself a cupcake. But when you look at these two uh, opposing scriptures in Ephesians 5, I mean Galatians 5, 19, and then starting the next group in 22, you know what that says to me? You have a choice. You have a choice. You can follow your sinful nature or you can follow the Holy Spirit. You do not get a choice of whether to follow or not. Some people say, well, I, I don't follow either one of those. No, you going to follow one of those. There's only two roads, your sinful nature or God. That's it. You have a choice. If we do choose the fruit of the Spirit, as, as this is commonly called, which one should we go after first? We're talking about hacking Christianity. We are talking about how to have a meaningful relationship with God 
taking all of the religion out of stuff and trying to get to the meat and taters part of our relationship with God so that we can grow. Which one opens the most doors in the shortest amount of time? Can we single one of these nine things out and say, this is where we're going to start? How about the first one? Love. Well, there are seven different, I think there's like seven, six or seven different types of love listed in the Bible. There's agape love, which is love for everything. Then there's the love that you have for your wife, which hopefully is different than the love you have for your best friend. And, you know, there's just all, there's brotherly love, there's family love. There's just, there's all these types of love. So, you know, get this. A lot of people say, well, start with love. Man, the Bible says to love ourselves. We can't even do that. So is this really a good place to start? I think it's a great place to end up, but maybe it's not the best place to start. How about this one, joy? This is another that we don't even really know what it is. If we try to hack into joy, we would feel like failures most of the time because I think that we equate joy with happiness. And when we're not happy all the time, then we must not be joyful. And if we're not joyful all the time, we must be doing something wrong. And now we hate ourselves because we're not happy all the time. So maybe that one's not a good place to start. How about peace? I think people confuse peace with passivity. I mean, I, I think that we should strive for peace. But a lot of people think that, that in the beginning that peace is, is, is being a sissy. Like, you know, Ty was saying, you know, his big gelding wasn't a sissy. He might not have gone over there and done, uh, done his leading with kicking and biting and squealing and all of that. You can have a powerful peace. But once again, that's a real tough place to start. Ty also mentioned, uh, mentioned the other one that starts with a P. How about patience? Who wants to start off with patience? Man, praying for patience in the very beginning is like saying, well, I've never ridden a horse before, but I want to go rope a bull today. <laughs> I'm not saying you can't get it done, but you're going to end up in a wreck of Sundays, if you know what I mean. So maybe that's not the best place to start. What about kindness? If you've been going here anytime, you've heard me harp on this. I think that kindness is one of the most misunderstood uh, qualities there is because most people think that kindness means being nice and being nice and being kind are as far as the east is from the west and I'll tell you why because being nice doesn't cost you a stinking thing oh you smiled at somebody well pat yourself on the back oh you didn't cuss somebody out well pat yourself on the back you know, most people think that being nice is the same thing as being kind, but it's not because being nice doesn't cost you anything. But being kind will cost you everything. That's the difference. Jesus didn't go around being nice to people. He was kind, and it cost him everything. So maybe that's somewhere that we want to get to. Maybe that's screaming out across the pasture at full stupid like we do sometimes but maybe that's not a good place to start. How about goodness? Well, you know, I think this is real close to the attitude that many of us should start off with, but it's kind of like sitting on a horse. You know, if, if I try to teach you how to ride a horse and I say, well, just sit up there real good. You know, that seems to make sense, but you have no idea how to do it. Same way with Christianity. 
You know, because I also think that a misconception is this. Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men alive. There's a big difference there. How about faithfulness? You know, I think this is one of the first ones. But I don't know that that's the one that's going to hack in to all the rest of them. And now we reach the last one. And if you think about this last one, it doesn't quite seem to fit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. Self-control. It just, it, it doesn't quite seem to fit with everything. I mean, everything is like kind of lovey-dovey and, and everything, and then you get to self-control. Why would Paul put that in at the very end of a list of great Christian attitudes that we should all strive for, why does he put that one at the end? Because I believe that self-control is the door that leads to understanding. It leads to the application. It leads to the implementation of all of these other things because you can want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. But without self-control, self-control is the choice. You're not going to accidentally be peaceful, okay? You're not going to accidentally love people. You know, Mother Teresa didn't wake up one day and go, oh, I didn't even realize it. I've been loving people like nobody else has ever loved anybody in the world. Didn't even know I was doing it. No, it was hard. She had to choose it every single day. You're not going to be walking along and uh, fall into peace. Maybe peace is, but not peace. That's why self-control is so important. And it's the one that none of us want to do. Because this one requires a little bit of the E word, effort. And it's not going to happen by mistake. I seriously think we live in a downloadable culture that we think that once we plug into Jesus that we can just sit there and all this good stuff is going to be downloaded to us and that we don't have to do anything. That's not the case. Okay? You're not going to be, you know, in the cowboy world, I'm sorry, but you can't watch a Clinton Anderson video and become a horse trainer the next day. I don't care what he says. I don't care how much you paid. Because when I see you out there with a tarp over your head, running at your horse like this, I have other thoughts. Okay? I'm not saying that it might not be a good tool. I shouldn't have said tool. Self-control is the choice that we make. That we have to make every single day. Look, man, our sinful nature is easy. That, that sinful nature where, where the results are clear, the sexual immorality and all of that other icky, yucky stuff that we've all done that we don't want anybody to know about. We don't want that anymore. But, but just because you don't want that doesn't mean that you're going to do what God tells us to do. Without self-control, you will never be able to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. You know, I'm not saying that somebody that's not following God, they may be following their sinful nature. I'm not saying that they can't ever show somebody love. Of course they can. I'm not saying that if somebody's following their sinful nature, that they're a bad person, 
that, that they can't be gentle or have some patience or have some joy every once in a while. I'm not saying that, but listen, man, a dog can bark three times without knowing how to count, okay? Think about that for a second. A dog can bark three times without knowing how to count. I mean, we, we can stumble onto some of these things every once in a while, but if these are going to be our attitudes, our code of conduct, it's going to take some effort. It's going to take a choice. We're going to have to choose these things, and the way we do that is through self-control. So what I'm fixing to tell you right quick is how to hack into self-control to say, because self-control isn't just about sheer willpower of not doing bad things, okay? Lack of sin in your life doesn't make you a better Christian, okay? It's about choosing God, not necessarily quit sinning. I know some really good people out there that don't do a lot that don't follow God. So it's not about quit sinning, it's a self-control of choosing God, okay? How do we hack into it? I kind of came up with a little acronym to help you remember these things of how to hack in to self-control to make it easier, something that you can remember to make it easier to follow, to easier to remember so that we can go home and work on these things, okay? I hope you didn't come here just to listen. I hope you came here to learn so that you can go home and do these things, okay? And if, you'll, if you can imagine my acronym, you can turn it around. One way it means one thing, the other thing it means another. You got to do these things for the right way, the right reasons, or you turn it around. My acronym is RAW, R-A-W, because when you do it the right way, it's the foundation of our choice. It, it's the building blocks of how we learn to grow and all of this stuff. But if you do them for the wrong way, it becomes war. If you do it backwards, if you try to just say that self-control is about sheer will and you can do it on your own, you can't. Okay? And then you're going to feel at war within yourself. But I would rather we look at this as just raw, of unfiltered, of, of beginnings, of foundation. And what I mean by raw is with hacking self-control, the R stands for responsibility. I'm going to task you with something that may seem impossible at first, even mind-blowing but I'm going to ask you to start taking responsibility for every single thing in your life. You start taking responsibility for every single thing in your life. I did not say start taking responsibility for the way other people act or what other people say or what other people do. I said you take responsibility for your life. The words that you speak are your responsibility. About the only word I can think of that I can make you involuntarily say is maybe ow if I come up and kick you in the shin, okay? Every other word out of your mouth, including probably that one, you choose to say it. We must take responsibility. We must grab onto the power of choice and start taking responsibility for our lives. Start taking responsibility for our words, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our actions. Because a lot of people say, well, I can't help how I feel. Yes, you can. You just dwell on it. Man, if you sit there and think about the bad things in your life over and over and over and over and over, guess what? You're going to be thinking about bad things over and over and over and over and over and over. It's like watching the Hallmark Channel all the time. Nobody needs that many feelings. 
Why y'all watch This Is Us? I have no idea. Made me cry out of my eyes, out of my nose. Why would you watch that? You are in control of your feelings and through your mind. Man, we can take control. The Bible says set your thoughts on things that are pure and lovely and honest. Set our, set our feelings and our thoughts. Take every, mind, every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We can take control. We can take responsibility as a gift that God has given us. But just because God gives you a horse, He's not going to make you ride it. You have to go out there, catch it, hopefully put the halter on it. Hopefully the halter's not still on it. That's, don't, don't. Uh. Anyway, getting sidetracked. Hopefully you halter your horse, you can saddle your horse, you can get on it and ride it. Just because you're given something doesn't mean that you're using it. Just because we've been given this self-control, we have to use it. We have to take responsibility. We have to quit blaming others for all of our stuff. I didn't say that bad things don't happen to good people, but we got to quit blaming everybody else. Think about this. If you've been in the horse world very often, you know this to be true, that 95% of what a horse does is your fault. Uh, maybe not your fault, but it's something that you've done. Now, there's that 5%. Like Fiona, she's a mare. There is, her, her percentage may be a little higher. It may be like, you know, 10%. But we got to quit blaming others. We got to take control of our lives. With self control, we got to take responsibility. Now, listen, when I tell you to take responsibility for everything in your life, I'm not saying that everything is your fault. As a matter of fact, a lot of it's not going to be your fault of why you feel that way. When people hurt us, man, I know it hurts. I said take responsibility for your feelings, thoughts, words, actions. I didn't say that, that what happened was your fault. How do we know the difference? It's like this. If somebody comes and knocks on your door, and you go to the door and you open it, and there's a newborn baby on your doorstep, I want you to take responsibility for that baby until the appropriate authorities or whatever can come. That baby's going to be your responsibility. I didn't say it was your fault that somebody dropped it off. We can take responsibility without accepting fault. But here in America, or in our lives today, shoot, we don't even take responsibility for things that are our fault. And here Kevin is asking us to take responsibility for everything, even the things that aren't our fault. Yes, I'm asking you to stand up. I love this Bible verse. It says, stand up, extra... Be like, act like men, be strong. Take responsibility for yourselves. Hacking self-control. If you want to learn, if you want a very good step that will lead to other good steps, we're going to start with self-control, and we're going to start with self-control with taking responsibility for ourselves. The second thing that we're going to do real quick is we are going to pay attention. Attention. Responsibility was the R. A is attention. Self-control means being able to pay attention to what is important. And don't we all live in an ADD society? I think there's all some of us. There's just like squirrel, you know. Uh, do you know what FOMO is? It's an actual deal now. It's, it's an acronym for the fear of missing out. We, we check our phones all the time because we're, we're scared we're going to miss something. And all of it is a distraction from where God wants us to be. God says, come spend time with me. Come in prayer. 
Read some of my book, my love letter that I wrote to you. Go to church, but we choose everything else because we're not paying attention to what is important. We must be able to focus on God instead of the distractions of this world. we got to be able to focus on what is important instead of what is urgent. Most of us, the thing we fill our days with just the things that we know we have to do. And then if there's anything left, which 99 out of 100 times there's not, we give 1% to God when he says, man, you give me everything first and I'll take care of all that stuff. Isn't it crazy that Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given unto you. And he's talking about food and clothes and everything that we work so hard at, all the urgent stuff, every stinking day we kill ourselves. God had already said, man, you come to me and just seek me first. I'm going to handle all the rest of this stuff. Now, I'm not telling you that you can go sit in a lazy boy recliner and just read the good book and somebody going to bring you a pot roast, okay? Thank you for that, by the way, though. person that brought us a pot roast, I'm still, ooh, it was good. So it does work sometimes. It's great. Every once in a while, right? Remember that dog barking thing? That's what I was talking about. But we got to be able to focus on God instead of the distractions. we got to be able to focus on what is important, not what is just urgent. we got to learn to be able to focus on today instead of worrying about tomorrow. I think we are the only, they call us intelligent life, but I don't see how. Because we spend more time worrying about what happened yesterday and what's going to happen tomorrow than living for today. And they call us intelligent. Take responsibility for everything in your life. Start paying attention to the right things. Because most of us, all we do is pay attention to distractions and things that aren't important. Jesus said, store up your treasures, treasures in heaven, not what moth and rust can destroy. You know, attention is like driving a stick shift. There's, there's three levers down there. And you gotta use all three. I've tried to, I've tried to drive a stick without, without one of them. And I don't care which one you choose, you don't get very far or you go too far. One of the, you, Tried it, right? But if you want to start paying attention to things, you got to involve your head. That means your eyes, your ears, and your mouth, okay? Keep two of them open and one of them shut, okay? If you need to know which two those are, let me know. You got to involve your hands. It's hard not to focus on something that, you know, most people don't go, I look down and I built a house. <laughs> no, you got to pay attention to what your hands are doing. So if you involve your head, if you involve your hands, and you got to involve your heart if you want to pay attention to something. And you got to do all three of those things. And it is possible. And the last thing is wisdom. Take responsibility, pay attention, and the result will be wisdom. When you're taking responsibility for everything in your life and paying attention to the important things, the byproduct, the love child of time and experience is something referred to as wisdom. Somebody doesn't just wake up one day and go, I'm going to be wise today. <laughs> Why hadn't I thought of this sooner? First step is I'm going to be wise today. I'm going to walk around with like wisdom. You know, that's like that guy that just watched the Clinton Anderson video that now is a horse trainer the next day. Okay, it don't work like that. Wisdom. Doing the right thing over a long period of time results in wisdom. You don't figure wisdom out. You have to work towards it. It's trial and error. It's keeping on keeping on. Wisdom is the fruit of self-control. Wisdom is the unseen force behind Christianity. But unfortunately, man, a lot of us, and, I, and, I, and I'm the first to say it, I've looked like a fool before. 
talking about things that I hadn't put the time and experience into, giving bad advice. Wisdom is the guide into unfamiliar territory. Here's a little secret. The preacher doesn't know what he's doing most of the time. Okay? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. The Bible says that, that God's word is a light into my feet and a, a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And if you ever seen a light that they used, it was a candle. How much of that light lit up a path in the wilderness? You know, from here to there. That's all God's going to show you is from here to there. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Man, if you're only doing things that you know you're not doing very much because you don't know much and none of, us, none of the rest of us do either. <laughs> no. She's taking notes. <laughs> wisdom is the guide into unfamiliar territory. Wisdom can be the taskmaster of the guilty or the caretaker of the righteous. Wisdom can be the taskmaster of the guilty. I mean, I was, I was not going to get into the story, but I was with an old cowboy one time and I told him what I was going to do. And I said, do you think that's a good idea? And he goes, well, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you the story. Because it's a good one. So anyway, I, I'm learning to break horses, and I'm on this horse. And, and uh, anyway, uh, Ralph, uh, Ralph tells me, he says, okay, you're up there. Now start rubbing on his head. So I start rubbing on his head. And, of course, this horse doesn't like it. He doesn't even like me being up there, much less rubbing on his head. So he's like, okay, rub on his neck. So I rubbed on his neck. He's like, rub down his chest. So I rubbed down his chest. He goes, rub on his butt. And I rubbed on his butt. He said, he said now reach down there and grab him by the flank and pull real hard. So I did, and he goes, don't do that. <laughs> He said, I was joking. That's where wisdom comes in, right? Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Wisdom can be the taskmaster of the guilty or the caretaker of the righteous. Choose one. Wisdom is going to be your taskmaster. You're going to learn from your mistakes, man. Learning, le- learning from your mistakes is good, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. Isn't learning from other people's mistakes better? Because I would a lot rather watch Ty get bucked off and go, well, I'm never doing that again. Let's learn from each other's mistakes so we don't have to make them. Here's the end. Self-control is the doorway to the Christian conduct that other people see. You want to make a drastic difference in your life today? Start exercising self-control. Okay? Because self-control leads to gentleness. And gentleness leads to faithfulness. And faithfulness leads to goodness. Goodness leads to kindness. Kindness leads to patience. And patience starts leading to peace. And peace starts leading to joy. And joy leads to love. And love leads to Jesus. You want to make the biggest difference in your life, start with self-control. Self-control is a choice. You have a choice, you have to use it. You're either going to choose your way or God's way. That's where self-control comes in. If you want to hack into self-control, then you start with taking responsibility for everything in your life. I did not say accepting blame for everything in your life or, or thinking that everything's your fault. I'm not saying it. I'm saying take responsibility for your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, your words, what you're going to do today. You're not going to worry about what happened yesterday and you're not going to fret about tomorrow. You're going to live today and today is going to be for the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord each and every day. Self-control will help you hack into the cowboy that God wants you to be where there will be no more blame and no more excuses 
The Holy Spirit is right there to guide, direct, and give you the power you need. You are not in this alone. It is not just your sheer willpower that we're talking about. We're talking about just making a choice every single day of taking responsibility, of paying attention to the right things, and growing in wisdom. Each and every one of you can do it. I believe each and every one of you want it, or you would not be listening, you would not be watching, you would not be here, and you are not here by accident. Self-control is powerful. Self-control is a choice. I hope that each of you today chooses wisely. Let's go to God in prayer. God, no more are we going to run around like pagans and heathens being slaved to our wants and desires. The power to overcome all things lies with the choice to choose you and your ways above all else. God, no one ever said that this was going to be easy, but you did say that it would be totally worth it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.